Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to, uh, to the Vineyard as we continue on in our study through the Bible. And uh, for those of you who have been coming for some time, you know that we launched on this journey a little over eight years ago. We're going through the Bible uh, pretty much a chapter at a time. Sometimes we'll do two or three chapters or half a chapter, depending on what's going on. Pretty much a chapter at a time. We've done the entire New Testament. That took us five and a half years. And over the last couple of years now, we've been working through the Old Testament together. We've done all of Genesis, and we've done all of Exodus, and we're currently working through Leviticus. Um, all along, I've been telling you that the reason that it's important for us to do that is, is context. It's, it's important to have the Word of God in context. And so um, we see how it sort of all begins to work together. We started with the New Testament because it's... Uh, that makes it, you know, very practical for us as believers. And now we can go back and see how we came to so many of the things that we talked about in the New Testament and, and what's going on in the Old Testament, how that impacts us today. So Leviticus is an interesting book. And um, it, it was primarily written at the beginning of the Levitical priesthood to sort of institute the ways that they were going to do things and uh, what that was going to look like uh, as, uh, you know, the whole priesthood came about. Now, we know that we have a better priesthood now in Christ. And so um, these are shadows of things. And so when you read through Leviticus, you, you need to look for types and you need to look for things that, that are going to be fulfilled in Christ so that we see how they apply to us today. And that's what we've been doing as we've been working our way through Leviticus together. And over those last few chapters, and we kind of lumped in uh, the four or five chapters together, because um, God was talking specifically, the, the um, laws were being given on, on how to live holy lives. And now when we, when we hit 17 and we're going to move forward, um, it, it's more, it's, it's about being set apart and, and um, what that looks like as the people of God. And so there's a lot of stuff going on in the process. I'm going to really focus in on 17, and then I think when I get back, we're going to, we're going to move into the feast in 23. Um, so, so I'll cover these next few chapters kind of today in what's going on. But, but the big issue here at 17, which is such a big stopping point, there, there's two themes that sort of jump out big time in um, chapter 17 that I want to look at together. One of them is the prohibition against idolatry, and the other one is the prohibition against um, misusing or abusing the blood of the sacrifice, and why those things are so important and why they were such a big deal. And sort of the next chapters really sort of focus in on those things as well. So for us now, as we, we really, um, we looked at chapter 16 last week, and I think we did 11 through 16 last week, but it's 16. Um, we focused on atonement. And as we pick up things happening here in chapter 17, uh, the Day of Atonement had just been celebrated for the very first time. You remember atonement? I said, way do you remember that is at one meant. Um, you know, we're at one with God because of the atonement. And um, the high priest had gone into the most holy place and he'd, and he'd settled the offerings. Uh, he made the offerings and the sacrifices for everybody himself and all the people for their sins so that they could be at one with God. And it, it brought forgiveness and reconciliation to the people of God. And that's what atonement is all about. Remember I said that, that 
back then, it was once a year. It's one of the big things that they did. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place. And uh, there was a lot of preparation that had to happen for him to do that. And he had to be dressed a certain way. And he had to be washed a certain way. And there was all sorts of things going on and, uh, to make that possible. And he could only go in there once a year into the most holy place. And just for this, for this moment in time. And how amazing it is, is that for us now in, in Christ, the, the, the better priesthood, um, we have access to the holy place 24-7 um, because our access is in Christ who, who made the perfect sacrifice once and for all when he gave his life and, and, and is the reason that we have at one meant with God, our atonement he makes possible. But uh, back in what's happening in Leviticus right now, um, the day of atonement has happened and now God wants to um, help his people stay in that process. And, and um, salvation is a big theme throughout um, the Old Testament and throughout Leviticus. And when we, when we come back and look at Leviticus 23, we'll see how, how big a deal salvation was in all the feasts and what's happening. But, but God wants his people to be saved, to, to have salvation. And the only way that they can, that can happen with them is they have to approach him through the atonement, um, the reconciliation sacrifice. And so what he's going to begin to set in place in these next few chapters is how they're to live in this process to, to keep them in that place in the relationship with God. Throughout this, though, you're going to see that they can't keep up with it, and nobody could, which is why we desperately need Jesus. But it, it, all these things are being laid out for them, so they begin to see how, how desperately they need a, a Savior um, in this life. So... Um, these two things, these two big things that he's going to come into now. One, one is about idolatry, and one is, again, dealing with the animal sacrifice, the blood of the animal sacrifice. And the following chapters really sort of highlight those things. So let me read you Leviticus 17. It's actually a pretty short chapter. I'm going to start in verse 1, and then we'll uh, uh, go from there. I'm reading out of the NIV. Whatever translation you use is fine with me. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and all the Israelites, and say to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb, or goat in the camp, or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance to the tent of meeting, to present it as an offering to the Lord, in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, that man shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. He has shed blood and must be cut off from his people. This is so the Israelites will bring to the Lord the sacrifices they are now making in the open fields. They must bring them to the priest, that is, to the Lord, at the entrance to the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as fellowship offerings. The priest is to sprinkle the blood against the altar of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and burn the fat as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols to whom they prostitute themselves. This is to be a lasting ordinance for them and for the generations to come. Say to them, any Israelite or any alien living among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance to the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to the Lord, that man must be cut off from his people. Any Israelite or any alien living among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. 
Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you must eat blood, nor may an alien living among you eat blood. Any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth, because the life of every creature is its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature, because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. Anyone, whether native-born or alien, who eats anything found dead or torn by wild animals must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be ceremonially unclean till evening. Then he will be clean. But if he does not wash his clothes and bathe himself, he will be held responsible. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so, um, two big things happening, uh, and some points to make around those two things. First off, one of the things you need to know is that in this whole process, the lawgiver is God himself. And, and God gives these, these laws um, because he's concerned about the attitudes of the people towards him. Now, most people, unfortunately, have turned away from God. A lot of people claim that they know God, but when they say that, what they mean is, the God of their own imaginations, or their own ideas, or their own thoughts. And a lot of people have that concept about who God is, that, that it's God as they see Him. It's God as they make Him to be. It's God as they want Him to be, or as they think it's fair of Him to be, or as they, they have uh, taken in a lot of things, and they, well, this is what God is like, and they sort of generalize God. But what they believe in is a God of their own imaginations, ideas and thoughts. And, and when they do that, they reject the God of Revelation, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the Bible. And, and see, God reveals Himself. God is revealing Himself here in the Old Testament, but He further reveals Himself to us in Christ. And, and He's the one who makes the way to relate to Him established. We don't get to do that. But, but that's where so much mess has come from. There's so many people think that what they want to do is they want to make God of their own opinion and of their own mindset and of, the, of a big general sort of generality of, oh, well, this is what God should be like and this is what we think God's like. And, and so that must be what God is like. And I'm going to find some other folks who sort of agree with that or some sort of thing and then we'll, that's what we'll do. But, but God revealed himself to us in Christ. So, so he's who he is. Jesus was very clear in this whole process about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That, that's hard for a lot of people, but understand the concept is that people throughout history have, have tried to worship a God of their own imaginations, of their own minds, of their own thoughts. And, and they believe that that's what they're supposed to do. The problem is that that will not connect you with the living God. It keeps you separate from Him. And, and, and it's an eternal separation. It's a, it's a huge problem. And that, in effect, is what idolatry is. It's worshiping a God of your own imagination. And, and there's a lot of amazingly good people that are stuck in idolatry. So it's not good and bad. That's not the concept. It's, not, it's just that God has revealed Himself to us in Christ, and He was pointing at Jesus through all of this. When we get into the feasts in Leviticus, with this information, you're going to see how apparent it is that God was preparing people for the arrival of Jesus on the scene 
And each one of the feasts is a picture of Jesus. It's an amazing picture of Jesus. And that when Jesus comes, he fulfills the feasts perfectly to the day of when they were celebrated. The, the, the first three feasts, when we look at those, you're going to see how he comes and he fulfills them with the, the crucifixion and the, the resurrection and how he hits them perfectly on, on that happen. On a Passover it happens and on leavened bread, those two feasts happen within a day and then first fruits happens right away and it's on the resurrection and it happens over that three-day period and Jesus fulfills all of those perfectly. And then the fourth feast you'll see is the Feast of Pentecost. And, and you know what happens. Pentecost was 50 days later. And what happens? We know at Pentecost the Holy Spirit comes and fulfills feast number four. And there's three feasts left. Um, and the next one is trumpets. And, and each one revolved around a harvest. And the very first fruits, the little tiny one, and if you, when we look at it, you're going to see on oh, Matthew, there was a bunch of people that popped out of the grave that people forget about. That was the very first fruit, smallest of the harvest. Pentecost was another harvest. 3,000 people are added to the church. And then the big summer season, when the really big harvest happens at the end of summer, at trumpet blast, that's when it's over. That's when the harvest is thing. They would wait on a trumpet. What are we waiting on as the church? We're waiting on the trumpet. We're in the time of harvest. That, that's going to be responded, then trumpets comes, and then atonement comes, and tabernacles comes, and those will all come just like that when Jesus comes back. But we're in this harvest season, and we're, we're waiting for trumpets till Jesus comes back. So when you see all that, you'll see how magnificently God has put this together and revealed it for people to see that He's real and He wants to be in relationship with Him. But He's the one that defines the relationship because He's God. He's the Creator. We don't get to make our own definitions of what that looks like. When we do, that's idolatry. And, and worshiping idols is not something that we're allowed to do. And um, whenever we worship a God of our own imagination, it breaks the heart of God. So He created us for Himself. And, 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 and to enjoy all of the life that He's given us now and forever, and particularly the forever part when He comes and remakes everything for us. And so he's, he's here in the Old Testament. He's giving this law to his people to preserve their belief in him. And, and he wants to do everything he can to keep people from turning to the idolatrous practices of the world. And that's why when you get into chapter 18 and 19 and 20 and 21, he's giving out all these things. Don't go and do that. Don't go and do this. This is what pagans do. This is what these people do. Don't go and run after these things. All of them will lead you astray. I want you to just keep your, your heart and your, your minds, your eyes on me. And so he begins uh, in verses 3 through 9, and, and he lays out the prohibition against idolatry. And uh, uh, he, in verses 3 and 4, a person must not offer any sacrifice to an idol. Um, no sacrifice was to be made any place other than the place appointed by God, and that place was the tabernacle. And this was a huge change now for the people of God. Prior to this time, they had built offers, uh, altars and sacrificed wherever they pleased. And the head of each family um, had been sort of the priest to his own family. And, and this led to tragic results at, at the time because um, they, they had begun to build altars and offer sacrifices to the God of their own imaginations, worshiping what they thought God was or as they conceived God to be. 
Many of the Israelites had worshipped the false gods of Egypt while they were enslaved there. And, and surrounded by that idolatry and bombarded by that mess, um, they had taken on many of those practices. And what it did was it weakened their faith in God. And they, they turned to the idols of their neighbors. And, and um, you know, it generally happens in degrees. You know, it, it starts slowly. And then people just go into a slow drift if they're not, you know, worshiping God. And so they invented little g-gods of their own thoughts and ideas. And um, this is what, what had happened in the process. And so this idolatry was huge. So God puts this big change in place. And, and he's, he's telling people now that this is how they are to approach God. Um, and he put a priesthood in place. And he told the people they weren't allowed to build their own altars or to offer their own sacrifices however they felt like they should do it. Well, this is what I'm going to do. Um, th there was a prescribed way to approach God. And, and, and so there was one priesthood. And that's what was being put into place. And ultimately, it's going to be Christ who fulfills that priesthood. But, but at this point in time, Aaron and his descendants and, and would continue to serve as the priesthood that was put into place, and they would offer the sacrifices, and they would offer them in the tabernacle. And, and God's people's lives were to be centered around the tabernacle. Uh, and he, God wouldn't accept sacrifices that were offered outside of that. Um, no, no sacrifice would be accepted other than what was offered in the place designated by God in the tabernacle. Tabernacle. When we read Exodus, Exodus 24 says, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Uh, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John 5 21 to, to keep ourselves from idols. So um, the high priest, which is now where these sacrifices were to come through, and the priesthood, a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when a person approaches God, he has to come through the high priest, which is Jesus, and, and um, that's the sacrifice that's acceptable to God. So, so God accepts people who come through Christ, the way that he had made. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And, and so Jesus, the high priest, was a symbol of the, Jesus. And the tabernacle is, in effect, a symbol of Jesus. Um, there was just one place that people could do approach him, the place appointed by him. And for us, that place is the Lord himself. He's the fulfillment of the tabernacle. And when you read about the tabernacle, it's, a, it's a, again, a big picture of Jesus and who he is. And, and that um, the tabernacle sort of symbolized for us the coming of Jesus of the world and the sacrifice he was to make on the cross. And so when we approach God, um, we come through Jesus at the cross. And all of this is being set up. And you're going to see it amazingly laid out for you in Leviticus 23, uh, how that happens. So that's the part about idolatry and staying away from it. The other big deal he's making in 10 through 16 is um, about the blood of the sacrifice. And this um, law was given way back, actually, in Genesis 9. Uh, it was first given to Noah, as far as we know, uh, Genesis 9, 4, where he said, you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. 
And, um, and so this was a pagan practice where the blood, uh, you know, was, was used and consumed in all sorts of ways. But, but he, God says, listen, here, here's why I don't, you to, don't want you to do this. And he says, none of you can do this. And the reason is, is that blood is sacred um, to God. It's blood that gives life to the body. Um, if, if you drain the body of its blood, what happens? You die. Um, life is in the blood. That has to be pumping through you uh, in the process. And, and so it's, it's blood that gives life in the process. And so the reason that the blood was to be respected is that it taught the dignity of life and how important life was. And, and that it mattered. It was never to be considered lightly. It was to be respected and honored. Um, and, and another reason is it's the blood that gives life to us spiritually. Um, it's the blood of, of the sacrifice and ultimately of Jesus that makes atonement and reconciliation with God possible. So Leviticus 17.11 is a very important scripture. It says, The life of a creature is in its blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. That's why it's to be taken seriously all the time. The blood of the sacrifice is the ransom, the price paid for atonement, or reconciliation with God. And that's what happens with us at the cross. When Jesus sheds his blood for us, that's where our atonement comes from. It's, it's what pays the ransom. It's what, what sets everything right with us and reconciles us to God. And, and so the blood, you know, now for us is the symbol of, of the blood of God's Son, Jesus. And so it's never to be uh, abused or misused. Um, Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So um, what, what we're set up with here in 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, um, 22, leading up to the feast, are these, these pictures of uh, a life that's to be had in, in Christ for us now, worshiping God by the way that he prescribes, and he's setting it up here. And, and ultimately, how amazing it is that um, the blood of Jesus has set us free and brought us to the place where we can be reconciled to God and that we're never to take that lightly in the way that we operate in this world. So um, those are pretty interesting things, I think. And, and uh, I think that will sort of really set us up to go and look at the feast. And I, I get excited whenever I get there. I started talking about it already tonight. But we'll, we'll, uh, we'll dig into it deeper when we get back together. But that's good for tonight. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Um, visit us when you can. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page. We will pray for you, and we'll see you soon. All right. What we're going to do is we're going to take up the prayer.